Please stand for the call to worship. The Lord is my, my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. From the day of the trouble, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this time that you've set aside for us to, to gather here, together as one body. Lord, we just ask that in this time you open our hearts to hear from you this morning. In whatever way you want to speak to us, Lord. Prepare our hearts in this moment of, of quiet. We thank you for being an active and present God in our lives. And we lift up this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. What a great promise that uh, we affirm this morning as we gather for worship. So glad that you are here today. And uh, we want to ask you, invite you to take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here this morning. bring your attention to a couple of things, uh, three things that uh, in your bulletin. Uh, there's an insert in your bulletin about next Sunday is our annual food drive for the food pantry. Uh, people make donations throughout the year and we're happy to receive those. But uh, on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, it's typically a time where we make a, an extra special effort to collect as much food as we can to so we can distribute it throughout the next month or so during the holidays. So we uh, want to encourage you, if you can, to bring some food with you next week and then uh, that will help stock the food pantry. Also, if you're a college student, uh, we want to connect with you a little bit better, more effectively. So there's an insert in your bulletin about that. You can just fill that out. Uh, you can drop it in the offering plate if you want, or there's a box in the lower foyer that you can drop it in as well, just to help us make better connections with you uh, as students while you're here on campus. And I also want to remind you, we have one week of the prayer vigil left, and hopefully you've had a chance to, uh, to be in the prayer room. If you haven't, let me encourage you to do that. Uh, you can sign up. Uh, through the church website or contact the church office. We'll be happy to uh, help you with that as we conclude this, this final week of our three weeks of 24-7 prayer. So uh, if you have questions about it, just let me know. We'll be happy to answer those. Good morning. Some of you have seen our children from junior church out in the foyer before and after services collecting change for the 5 and 2 program, which is World Hope's child sponsorship extension. And I'm here today to announce the total amount of pennies and dimes and nickels and even dollars that the kids collected from you. Um, at first, after the first week, there was about $120, and I was really excited. I thought, wow, we could maybe maybe get up to $500, and then it just escalated from that point. And our total amount that was collected over this last four weeks was $1,179. So I just think that's amazing, and I thank you for all of the donations and for everything that you did. And that big pile of pennies was counted out by the um, high school youth group as well as uh, the Sunday school classes. So it was really a, a joy to see how much came in finally, and we thank you so much. We have a very generous congregation, and I'm, I'm just ama- amazed and grateful. And speaking of our amazing church family, we had enough donations on Wednesday night to pack 69 more shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child. So we'll get a final total from Jess Romance um, on Monday when she packs them all in her car and takes them off to the center. But thank you so much. Um, we'll put in the uh, bulletin next week what our final total of boxes were. And you'll see in your bulletin a little reminder to pray for the children who will be receiving those boxes. I wanted to give you just a quick snapshot of what happens here on Wednesday nights with our kids club. Each age group cycles through game time, craft time, and Bible lesson time with a really exciting rendition of the Bible verse set to a a pop song. 
this was masterminded by our very talented Sarah Gurley. So take a look at a snapshot from Wednesday nights. Thank you so much. As you can see, there's a lot of fun, a lot of energy, and we give God all the glory for everything wonderful that's happening on Wednesday nights. Thank you.
The Old Testament reading comes from selected verses uh, from the book of Haggai. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and and to Joshua, son of Jehozadat, the high priest. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. This people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Is it a time for you to dwell in your luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? Now therefore, consider what's happening to you. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. You looked for much, and it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins while, you're, while you busy yourselves with your own. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I've called for a drought upon the land, upon what ground brings forth, upon men and cattle, and upon all the laborers. Then Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the remnant of the people feared before the Lord. Haggai spoke to them with the Lord's message. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and appear in my glory. I am with you. The Lord stirred up the spirit of the people and then came and worked on the house of the Lord their God. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai. Say to Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the people, Who among you saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing? You take courage, work for my spirit abides among you. In a little while I will shake all nations, so that their treasures shall come in. The silver and gold is mine, and I will fill this house with the greater splendor than the former. In this place I will give prosperity. On the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai. This is, the, this is what the Lord says. Ask the priest to decide this question. If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes, and his robe happens to brush against some bread or wine, or any kind of food, does the food become holy? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai asked, if someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods, will the food be defiled? The priest answered, yes. Haggai said, so is it with the nation before me, says the Lord. What the people differ offer is unclean. Consider now what will come to pass. Before a stone has placed upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, how, how do you fare? When you hoped for a 20 uh, bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you found only 20. I sent blight and mildew and, and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, you refused to return to me, says the Lord. But since the day of, the, of that foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, I will bless you. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the same day. Say to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the nations and overthrow the chariots of their riders. The horses will fall and their riders will kill each other. On that day I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, and make you like a signet ring. 
For I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the doxology. Father God, we know that you are good and that you give us everything that we need. Um, we thank you for um, providing uh, providing for us in ways that we just can't provide for ourselves. Lord, help us use what you've given us um, and give back so that uh, you can multiply those givings. Um, help this be an act of trust. Help this giving... Um, Remind us that you are far greater and far more powerful than we are. That when we give, um, we're saying that you know better than we do. Um, and you can do a whole lot more with, with what you've given us than what we can. Help us give with thankful hearts this morning. Um, just be reminded of, of the ways that you've um, blessed us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
God who desires to be with us invites us to come in honesty and openness to him. So let me invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that's printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we confess that we are enamored with ourselves. We fight for rights that are primarily for us rather than others. We work diligently to gain more for ourselves when we see so many who have so little. We are typically far more interested in being served than in serving. Forgive us for the self-centered spirit that drives us. Open our hearts to Christ that we might be more interested in giving than receiving, more interested in submitting than controlling. Through Christ's mercy, we claim the pardon you offer us, that when we confess our sins, you are faithful to forgive our sins. Amen. Father, we do want to thank you for your grace and your forgiving mercy to us. And we thank you today that you hear our prayers. We have gathered today with a variety of experiences and burdens, joys and sorrows, highs and lows of this week. And we place them all before you. You know the the pain of grief that some of us feel. The physical pain that we feel. You know the struggles that we may have about trusting you for the future and uh, the confusion about decisions to be made. You know the, the financial burdens we have and the relational struggles that we are facing. All of these things we bring to you now knowing that you hear us and that you care and that you are at work. Father, we we thank you for being here in this place with us. We also want to thank you for being Uh, active and part of other churches around us. And today we pray for Christ Chapel Wesleyan Church in Silver Creek and Pastor Mike Lemon. May your grace be upon this body of believers as they worship you and serve you and serve one another in their community. Be glorified in their lives and in all that they do as a congregation of believers. Father, we, we pray for our nation. We thank you for those who have sacrificed that we might have the freedom to come and worship today. And as we celebrated Veterans Day yesterday, we are reminded of how many people who have given of themselves and how many families who have grieved and suffered so that we might be able to come and worship as we do today and live our lives in freedom. We thank you and we pray for those who continue to serve and ask that their service might lead to more and more peace in our world. Father, in our nation, we know that there are many children who, who uh, have homes where they are not able to stay in the whole foster care system. And we thank you for people who open their homes and open their lives to foster children. And we stand with them today and pray that you will do amazing things through the foster care system, that you will help children to know that they are loved and cared for, and that you will give strength and wisdom and insight and patience to all who serve. Lord, we, we pray for those who are grieving the, 
tragedy in, in Texas this week, and other acts of violence and other acts of natural disasters that so many are wrestling with and struggling with. And we pray, Father, that you will bring your, your spirit's peace and grace, comfort and help in these difficult circumstances. Father, we pray for our, our newly elected legislators. We ask that you will give them wisdom as they lead our county and our community. We pray that you would help us as the church to join them to be compassionate advocates for those who have the greatest needs. Father, we also pray for our, the work of your kingdom around the world. We think of the Hasapa New Life Native Ministries in South Dakota. And we pray that as they embark on this, this Christmas season of outreach events, that the fruit will be multiplied and that they will see many come to know you. And we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who, who suffer so much for their faith. Think of the families of 23 Christian leaders in Mexico who, who gave their lives for the faith this last year. Give comfort to these families and to their churches and the people who are close to them. May they know our love and support. Father, we want to thank you for all of the ways that you are at work in our lives. Thank you for what you're doing through these first two weeks of our prayer vigil. And may this coming week continue to be a time when we individually and corporately draw closer to you and to one another. And we pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Still my soul, the Lord is on thy side. There patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still my soul. Thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways, leads to a joyful land. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy
Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Today's New Testament passage comes out of John 2, verses 13 through 22. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. You probably have uh, be, are aware of this phenomenon over the last few years of uh, remodeling shows on television. Fixer Upper, uh, Flip or Flop, uh, Property Brothers. One of my favorites are these tiny house shows because I'm always trying to figure out how to get all that stuff into this little tiny house. And the ingenious ways they come up with to design space and things. And it just reminds me that how important our houses are to us. We want them to, to look nice. We want them to be functional. We want them to be a place where we feel comfortable and at ease. And that's what they should be. And that's a good thing. When you read Haggai's prophecy, you begin to see that not only do are we interested in our houses, but God is interested in his house. And Haggai's prophecy takes place at a time after the Israelites have come back from exile. For 70 years, they have been in Babylon. And they are there because uh, they have rejected God. They have turned against him. They worship the idols of the nations around them and the gods of those nations. And so they go into exile for 70 years. And then God begins to bring them back. And as they come back, they they rebuild the wall around the destroyed city of Jerusalem. And they begin rebuilding places. And they start working on the temple that lies in ruins. But they get preoccupied with their own homes. They spend, they, they, so that the temple is neglected. And it's for 15 years or more, the people have just left the temple in ruins. And Haggai comes on the scene with a word from God who confronts them and says, so let's talk about this a minute. Why is it that you all are living in your luxurious homes and my home looks like that? And the outcome of that conversation is God seems to be saying to them, your view of my house is a reflection of your thoughts about me. One of the things that God says to them is that He says, step back and take a look at your lives. Are you happy with them? Are you happy with how your life is going? Because what I see is that you plant crops and when you harvest them, you get a third of what you were hoping for. And when you you make wine, you get a fourth of what you're hoping for. And when you eat, you're never satisfied. When you drink, your thirst is never quenched. And, and money, you, you, you get money, but it's like you have holes in your pockets and it all disappears. Is this really the life that you want? Is life what you want it to be? And I think they look at each other and say, no. And he says, it's because you're not caring for my house. My house is in ruins. And so I, I'm, I'm waking you up to this. I'm trying to help you understand how important this is. So I'm withholding blessings from you. Now, I don't think God is punishing them so much as he is saying, I can't bless you and send the message to you that it doesn't matter how you treat me in my house. I'll just bless you no matter what, because that will cause you and lead you to think I can live however I want to. The truth of the matter is when they when they are cutting themselves off from God, when they are cutting themselves off from the source of life and blessings, their lives are not blessed. And God is trying to help them to see the correlation. I mentioned to you last week that we have a new puppy in our house. 
And he's about four months old. We've had him for about, I don't know, five or six weeks. And uh, he's adorable, isn't he? Yeah. We, we have fallen in love with him so quickly. And one of the things we're trying to do with him is to, to train him about what's right and what's wrong. And so we are, you know, we're giving him treats when he does what is right and not when he, when he does what's wrong. But the hard part about it is, Cindy read a, one of the books Cindy was reading, said that it's hard to train puppies because they are just so cute. And, and you just want to give them whatever they want. You just want to let them do whatever they want to do. The problem is this little guy is a chewer. I mean, he chews on anything he can get his mouth on. Furniture, clothes, shoes, electrical cords. And so we are trying to keep him from doing that. And so we are rewarding him when he's not doing that. But that means we have, to, we have gates up around different places in the house so he's confined to certain areas so we can keep our eyes on him. We really wish we could just let him run. We wish we could just let him do whatever he wants to do and, and let him enjoy the whole house and let him enjoy whatever he wants to do. But we can't because if we did that, it would send the message that it doesn't matter what he does, he'll be rewarded. Even if it means something dangerous to him. And so until he learns what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad, we have to confine what we really want to do for him. And I suspect there is something of that in what God is saying here. He wants to bless us. In fact, later on in chapter 2, he says, I want to, I'm going to pour out my blessings on you. You're not going to believe it. But if he does that without us understanding where those blessings come from, we live with the wrong impression of who God is and what it means to follow him. The question going through my mind about all of this is, why is rebuilding the temple such a big deal? I mean, why can't they just gather in people's homes? Why can't they just gather in the marketplace? Why can't they just gather anywhere? Why do they need to rebuild the temple? The time and the effort and the energy to do that is going to be incredible. Why do they need to do that? And the reason is because the temple has always been the visible sign of God's presence with his people. It is the visible sign of our God who wants to be close to us. So in the tabernacle, God says, build the tabernacle and I will dwell in this place. I want to be close to you. And the temple, the same thing. And when we come to the New Testament, we find in the passage we read from John, Jesus talks about himself being the temple of God. This, the God, because our, God is always about relationship. And the gospel is always incarnational. It's one of the things that sets God apart from all the other gods of the other nations is that he wants to be close to people. He wants relationship with people. And he is willing, even the infinite God who cannot be confined, chooses to inhabit space, finite space, in order to be close to us, in order to be present with us. God does that because when he does that, he is declaring that there are some spaces that are more special than other spaces. That sort of goes against the grain of how our culture teaches us to think that everything is equal. All places are equal. And to say that there is that this space is more special than that space rubs us the wrong way. We struggle with that. 
I think that's why we, we have, you hear a lot of people saying, I can worship God just as much, maybe even better, out in nature than I can in the church. I don't need the church. I can worship God anywhere I want to. But I find that that when that when people say that, they're not saying these places out here are are just as special as the church. They are saying the church is not near as special as you think it is. We all have special places in our lives. I mean, I certainly do. There's an apartment on the campus of George Fox University in Newburgh, Oregon, where I I committed my life to the call of God on my life. And that's a special place for me. There's a, there's a golf course on the campus of Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, where I proposed to Cindy. That's a special place for us. There's a United Methodist Church in Spencer, Iowa, where we were married. That's a special place for us. There's a hospital in Richland Center, Wisconsin, and another one in Rice Lake, Wisconsin, where our children were born. Those are special places for us. Assembly Hall in Bloomington, Indiana, where the Hoosiers play basketball. That's a special place for me. (laughs) We have special places in our lives. They're more important to us than other spaces. There is something about the temple, something about the church, about the building even, that God says to us is a special place. It is a place where we have an opportunity to sense how close God wants to be to us. Is it the only place we can encounter God and worship God? Of course not. But it is the central key place. Because it's here that we worship God together and we encounter God together. And we learn the rhythms of life with God together. It's here that we are challenged about our walk with Jesus. It's here in which we find accountability and support and structure. It's here that we learn to refocus after living out in a world in which we are tempted continually to lose our focus. There is something important about coming to this place and all the other places where people gather for worship and learning and, 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 and education They're important places to know about God and to bond our lives together. That's why why we ask people during the prayer vigil to come to the prayer room. Because when when we come to the prayer room, my prayers get mingled with your prayers and your prayers with my prayers and everybody else's prayers. And when you walk into that space, the space that we have set aside for this purpose of worshiping God, of praying to God, of encountering God, there is something special about that space. And we do it together. And we remember in this space that our faith is not just personal, it is also corporate. And that is a significant thing for us to understand. Because the alternative is, without this space, the alternative is, it's just me and Jesus and that's all that matters. It certainly is me and Jesus, but it's also us and Jesus. And we all know if it's just me and Jesus, we are going to tend to get off track. We need this place. I think that the point of Haggai's prophecy 
what he's trying to get to happen is to get the people moving. He's trying to get some action. He's trying to get some, some, some work to be done. And what he's really saying to them is your relationship to God is revealed. Your, your thoughts about God are revealed by how you treat my house. And so what I want you to do is start picking up stones. Start bringing in wood. Let's rebuild this thing. And that will mean everybody is making an investment. Every single person in Jerusalem is asked to make some kind of an investment to rebuild the temple. And God is asking all of us and all of his people to be people who invest in his church. That will be all about all that we are. That means what we do with our money is significant. Is a significant revelation about our relationship with God. It means that what we do with our gifts and our talents and our time and our energy, all of these things about who we are, all the ways, things that we have, that God has given us, we are called to invest them in the church. And maybe one of the most profound things that we can do is to, is to step back every so often and ask ourselves, so what does, what does what I'm investing say about my relationship with God? About how close I want God to be to me, how close I want to be to God. What does that say? I mean, Haggai is, is pretty confrontational with the people. I mean, he's speaking the word of the Lord. But in essence, he's saying... You are doing all these other things that you want to with what you have. What are you going to do about my house? About this place that's so vital to your faith and to your relationship with Yahweh. And we do this not begrudgingly. We do it joyfully. We do it in a spirit of humility. We do it because we are so grateful for what God has done for us. But here's the thing that I think is important for us to understand. Talking about all of this might give us the impression that what we do for the church is is very self-contained. That we're just sort of, we're just doing all of this for each other. And sometimes the church sends that message to people outside the church that everything the church does is very, is very self-centered and self-absorbed. And it's all about what we do for each other. And we're just worried about the church. But the reality is when you read, there are hints of it in Haggai, but you see it throughout all the minor prophets. And then you really see it throughout all the rest of Scripture. That the ultimate end of what we do about God's house is not self-serving. It is self-giving. It is about what we do here and how our faith is enhanced and enriched and grows so that we can be the most effective agents of God to the rest of the world. This is not a place where we come and everything just dries up here. This is a place that becomes ascending forth. It is, a, it is a river that we are creating that, that creates a stream out into the rest of the world. And I think sometimes we miss that. We, we learn from each other. We teach each other. We challenge each other. We are accountable to each other. We care about the facility and how it looks and, and, and what we do with it. Because ultimately, all of that is going to help us be 
better witnesses for God in the world right around us and around the world. And if we think that all of this, that we are the end of all of it, we are mistaken. And we will become a very self-absorbed, self-centered group of people. It only works. It only makes sense. It's only the church that God designs. This building is only what God intends it to be when what we do here leads us to be a place that people are attracted to and that we go out to to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, it really comes back to, all of this prophecy comes back to what Jesus is, is doing here in, in chasing out the money changers out of the temple. I mean, this is, Jesus is really angry here. And when you read Mark's, Mark's account of this, he says, he, he says to them, uh, you, my house is to be a house of prayer for the nations. And the reason for that is that the temple is, is divided up into sections and it sort of moved from, from the, the, the most uh, private out to the most public. And so you have the Holy of Holies where the high priest comes once a year and offers sacrifices. And then you have the place where the priests come and offer the daily sacrifices. And then you have the place, the court of the men, where Jewish men can come and, and they worship. And then the place where the Jewish women come to worship. And on the outside of it, the outer court is called the court of the Gentiles. And guess where all of these money changers are set up with all of their animals? It's in the court of the Gentiles. And Jesus says, how is anybody supposed to pray and worship God when you've got all these animals running around and all this business being transacted and all the noise and all the chaos of that? In essence, he's saying, look, you have misunderstood what this building is about. This building is about ultimately sharing Jesus with everybody else. And that's ultimately what we're about. All that we do here is ultimately leading us to be more effective witnesses for Jesus wherever we go, wherever we may be, wherever we may send people. And however people may come to us. Haggai's bottom line is really this. Our view of God's house is a clear revelation of our Thoughts about God. So what is our view of God's house telling us? Our level of investment, our our level of embracing God's house. What is it telling us about our thoughts, our understanding, our desire for God? And remember, this is the God who wants to be close to us. All of this is about the God who who continually does everything possible to be close to us. So that we can be close to him. And nowhere do we see that more clearly than at this table. When we remember that the infinite God takes on human flesh. And goes to the cross for us. To restore us. To redeem us. To be close to us. Holy Father, thank you 
for your church. We pray that you would give us a a larger vision of your church in this place and in this world. Continue to help us to be people who trust you and whose hearts are reflected in our views in your house. Father, we pray your anointing upon the bread and the cup that as we eat and drink today, you will speak into our hearts your love, your grace, your mercy, your joy. We pray this through Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do in remembrance of me. This morning as you're released by Rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then return to your seat by the outside aisles. If coming to the front's difficult for you, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seats. Just let the ushers know as your row is released. And I also have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If you'd like those, just let me know as you come forward. We practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time that you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with a desire in your heart to be close to God, who desires to be close to you, then come. Receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.